Welcome to the teaching ministry of Magnolias First. For more information, visit www.magnoliasfirst.org. We welcome everyone to Magnolias First online worship. We're excited that once again that you have invited us into your living rooms all across uh, Magnolia and beyond. And uh, we are so excited to look forward to the time when we will be able to gather together once again uh, here in the worship center and in the venue and uh, all over our campus. And you probably are aware that uh, we have targeted May the 24th as our potential reopening date. Uh, That's contingent upon uh, the governor continuing to move our state forward in the phased reopening plan that he has set out for the state of Texas and for Magnolia uh, and Montgomery County uh, to continue to see a downward trend in COVID cases. And so we're praying that that will be the case and May 24th will be our day. And uh, I know it'll be a transition uh, to come back uh, as you have been spending uh, Sunday after Sunday in your living room, comfortable in your pajamas, and uh, I'm a little concerned that some of you uh, might do what the lady in this cartoon uh, has done. If you can read that, Mrs. Jones got a little too used to watching online worship from home. She's really pretty, isn't she? But uh, I don't really care if you come in your bunny slippers and your house coat. It's just going to be great to be able to see one another, even though we'll be social distancing and uh, wearing masks and, and taking all of the precautions about sanitizing uh, and all of those things, it's still going to be great to be able to worship. And you'll be able to see our revised schedule uh, on our website, and uh, we'll look forward to that day with great excitement. Well, we've been involved in a series in which we have looked at biblical stories of individuals long ago and how they responded to God in the midst of difficult times. And the name of the series is Lifeline, How to Grab God's Hand When You're Going Under. And today we're looking at one of the strangest stories in all of the Bible, And I'm going to be preaching this morning through an entire Old Testament book. Uh, But don't panic. It's only four chapters long, and we'll be doing an overview of the story. And the central character in our story today is an obscure prophet named Jonah. So if you have your Bibles, then uh, open it up to the book of Jonah. Uh, It's easy to find. It's uh, right in between two of the other minor prophets, and you'll, uh, you'll find it there in your Bible in between Obadiah and Micah. Well, maybe that won't help much, but uh, don't worry, we'll provide all of the verses on the screen. As we look at the story of Jonah, we will see that he's a person who failed God spectacularly, and yet God gave him a second chance. And that's a lesson for us because like Jonah, we serve a God of second chances. And aren't we glad? Uh, Jonah is considered 
uh, one of the minor prophets. Well, that's humbling enough to be called a minor prophet. Uh, but uh, Jonah's story is different than any other in the Bible. To call him a reluctant prophet would be a great understatement, and you'll see that as his story unfolds. So let's begin the text, Jonah chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. Well, this was a big ask for Jonah, because Jonah was an Israelite, and the Assyrians were the bitter enemies of Israel. Now, this story takes place between 785 and 760 B.C., right in there. And and I give you those dates because just a few years later, in 722 B.C., the Assyrians conquer Israel and enslave the Israelites. So you can begin to get a a little bit of an idea. If you think about the United States and North Korea and the animosity that's there, well, just magnify that by at least 10, and you still haven't quite begun to touch the bitterness and the animosity between Israel and Assyria. Uh, And so God gives Jonah a message Go preach my message of repentance and mercy and forgiveness to the Assyrians. Well, Jonah had an immediate reaction. Look at verse 3. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Now, if you have a study Bible, it perhaps has a map that outlines the route that Jonah took. And if you you look, as he gets on the ship to head toward Tarshish, it is in the complete opposite direction from where God told him to go, as if he could outrun the hand of God. Well, here's a lesson Jonah didn't learn that we need to learn. Running from God is never a good move. It's never a good move, and neither is ignoring him. I add that second sentence because for us, it's often not a geographical escape attempt, But it's a, don't miss this, it's an inner disregard of what God has said to us and what he wants us to do. It's that habit or that addiction or that attitude that we know is far from Christ-like or it's that relationship that we've refused to try to reconcile. It's something God has said to us and we know what God wants us to do but we're running in the opposite direction. When Jonah decided to run rather than obey God, it was not a good move. Pick it up with verse 4. 
But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods, little g, for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this, he shouted. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused the terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Can you imagine the drama of that moment when every eye in the room turns toward Jonah and they look at him and and they wonder, what in the world is going on with you? You have put our lives in grave danger. And they all had hundreds of questions and they began to interrogate him. Verse 8 Why has this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. The sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it? They groaned. Now, don't miss that. There obviously had been conversations where Jonah had said, perhaps in a lighthearted way, yeah, God told me to go and preach to the Assyrians. No way I'm going toward that ugly group of men and women. I'm out of here. And he'd gotten on the ship, and that day perhaps... The waters were calm and blue, and everything seemed peaceful. But now, the waters weren't calm and blue anymore. They were in the midst of a fierce storm that was about to take down the ship. By the way, we shouldn't miss this at this point in the story. When you run from God, you're always running into a storm. You're always running into a storm. It may be calm and blue for a while, but the storm is out there. And when you're running from God, you're headed straight into it. Well, Jonah was about to face the consequences. Verse 11, and since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to you to stop this storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Now let's stop and remember why it was that Jonah had made the wrong turn and gone the wrong direction to begin with. What was it that was in his heart that had caused this whole problem? And what can we learn from it? I believe it's this, when we don't care about the people God cares about, we're on a ship running from God. What was it 
that first caused Jonah to run away? It was his hatred for the Assyrians, his unwillingness to deliver God's message of repentance and forgiveness and mercy. He didn't want them to experience the goodness and the mercy and the forgiveness of God. He wanted them to suffer the judgment of God. But I have to admire his honesty, at least, to admit to the crew that all of that was his fault, and if they would just throw him overboard, they could be saved. But the men didn't want to do that. So verse 13 says, instead, the sailors rode even harder to get the ship to the land, but the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. Then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God, Oh, Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin, and don't hold us responsible for his death. Oh, Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. And then look, verse 15, then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. The crew believed that they were throwing Jonah to his death, but instead they were pawns in the hands of a sovereign God. They were divine assistants to God's plan to seek to teach Jonah what being a prophet of God was all about. Verse 16, the sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power And they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. This was just a partial demonstration of the power and the greatness of Jonah's God and our God. How much wiser it is to cooperate with such a great God as he and not fight against it. Listen, We think the pandemic is bad. We think being quarantined is bad. Look what happens to Jonah next, verse 17. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Now, it's at this point of the story that skeptics and liberal commentators and theologians for centuries have said, well, this story must be a a legend. It must be a a fable or an allegory because uh, there is no fish with an anatomy that would enable the fish to swallow Jonah and contain him on the inside. And when when I hear that, I just kind of shake my head and and grin because here's I'm I'm just simple-minded enough to think this, a God who can speak the universe into existence with his voice, a God who can raise his son from the dead, has no problem custom designing a fish. And I believe when the Scripture says that the Lord had arranged for a great great fish to swallow Jonah, that's exactly what happened. And I think we need to continue to connect the dots from Jonah's story to the stories of our lives 
because I believe that Jonah's story is true. It's accurate history, but it's also a historical allegory of the story of our lives. And so here's what I think the great fish means for us. God can still arrange for the great fish of our difficult circumstances to swallow us up and teach us a lesson. Jonah's stubborn, selfish will needed to be broken, and God used a big fish to do it. And for us, the big fish can take a lot of different forms in our lives. Have you ever considered this as you think of the pandemic and what we're all going through, that just maybe one of God's redemptive purposes for this pandemic may be to deal with your stubborn self-will? I know. I found myself in the big fish of difficult circumstances when God was trying to teach me a lesson, and it's not a pleasant place to be. So continue the story with us as we think about this. God wants to break our addiction to I think and I want and teach us again it's not about you. Those four words are so simple and yet so profound. Why is it that's such a difficult lesson for us to learn? When we become a Christ follower by faith, it's supposed to be from that point on, it's not about us anymore. It's about loving him and obeying him and honoring him and cooperating with whatever he is doing. It's not about what I think or I want. It's not about me, and it's not about you. And Jonah was learning the lesson the hard way. So as we think about Jonah In the belly of that big fish, it's as if God is saying to him, okay, Jonah, you're here where it's dark and it's stinky and uncomfortable, doesn't even begin to describe what it's like. Can you figure this out now? And so let's give Jonah some credit. At least at this point in the story, Jonah gets it right. Look at Jonah chapter 2, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from inside the fish. I have to stop here and say, I bet he did. Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from inside the fish. He said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and, O Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Then I said, O Lord, you have driven me from your presence, yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. And our God and Jonah's God, who is a gracious and compassionate God, threw Jonah a lifeline. 
Verse 10. Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. Not a one of Jonah's actions merited God's redemptive grace, and yet God extended it to him anyway. He threw him that lifeline. He gave him a second chance, just as he will do for us. And here's some good news in the midst of Jonah's story. God is a God of mercy and forgiveness. And he will give us a second chance when we're willing to obey him. It's as if he's saying, okay, Jonah, you're forgiven. Let's try this again. And once again, God made it clear what Jonah was to do. Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. This time, Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believed God's message. And from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. They received God's message of repentance. They received God's mercy and grace and forgiveness. And they were rescued from God's judgment. Look at verse 10. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways... He changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. Now, if I were writing this story, Jonah would have celebrated their repentance. Jonah would have rejoiced over their forgiveness that they turned to God in humility. And Jonah would have become a great missionary and evangelist. He would have been the Billy Graham to Assyria for the next few decades of his life. But that's not what happened. Look at Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That's why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you were a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. You know, Jonah's just a little bit of a drama queen here, is he not? But I guess getting swallowed by a big fish will do that to you. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. You see, on the outside, he'd been obedient. He obeyed God. He delivered the message. But Jonah never let God deal with his heart. He never let God take away his hatred for the Assyrians 
and replace it with godly compassion. You and I can do that too. Some of us have prejudices and biases that we won't admit to ourselves and let God break. We won't be honest about how we feel about some groups of people or people with a different political ideology or people we just don't like or people toward which we have bitterness and unforgiveness. We have those feelings of animosity and we hide them and just won't let them go. Instead, we let them decay and harden in our hearts year after year. So I ask you, are there Assyrian people in your heart? Types of people that though you secretly would say, God may love them, but I won't. I won't. And secretly, you'd be just a little glad if they had to suffer. If that's the case, watch out for the big fish. God has a way of sending them. God confronts Jonah, verse 4. The Lord replied, is it right for you? to be angry about this? And we don't have time to read all of chapter 4, but, but God arranges for a plant to grow to provide shade from the scorching sun for Jonah. But then God sends a worm to eat the plant, and the plant withers and dies, and Jonah suffers in the heat and in the sun. And then God uses it as a living illustration to Jonah's heart. Verse 10, then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? And the sad ending to Jonah's story that is so often ignored is that we have no indication, none at all, that Jonah ever aligned his heart with the compassionate heart of his God. But a far more important question than whether Jonah ever aligned his heart with God is, have you? Have you aligned your heart? And if we don't ask ourselves these questions, we have wasted the story of Jonah. So let me leave you with two challenges. Number one, check to make sure that your life is running in God's direction and not your own. If you've never received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, if you've never put your faith in Him and become a Christ follower, now is the time you ought to do that so that you can be moving in the direction that God has for your life, a direction of fulfillment, a direction 
of mercy and grace and eternal life. And if you're a Christ follower who's not following, maybe you're pulling a Jonah and you're going in the opposite direction. Turn around and come back to him. The second challenge is this. Ask yourself if there is anybody that God loves that you are unwilling to love and what you're going to do about that. A serious Christ follower doesn't get to choose who he or she loves. We love people because God loves people. People matter to us because they matter to God. Of every race, every color, every language, every ideology, every sin, every weakness and fault, they should matter to us because they matter to God. Prejudices and biases and unforgiveness and bitterness have no place in the heart of a Christ follower. They should be replaced with repentance and submission to God. If that needs to happen in your heart, you can make it right with God if you're willing because we serve a God of second chances. Let me pray for you. Lord, I do not know how the message of Jonah falls upon the hearts and lives of your people. I can only deliver the message you have placed on my heart and let it impact me as it should. And I pray that would be true for all of us. Lord, help us not to just hear a Bible story. Help us to take the truths and the principles and the convicting power of the Word of God applied by the Holy Spirit to our lives and be conformed to the image of Christ, to His honor and His glory. And we pray in His name. Amen.